0: Man, get that hand in the ground, butt in the air, and get ready to fire off the ball because you're locked in to keep your pads down. Your podcast for the men in the trenches. There are literally billions of podcasts out there, but this is the only one devoted exclusively to D-line play. I mean, at least I think so. If I'm wrong on that, don't tell me. Just let me continue on in my ignorance. Either way, thank you for giving us a listen. There are a ton of great resources out there. I know that for you to check out and ways for you to grow as a coach. So I am thrilled that you are spending your valuable time with us today on what is episode number 106 of this podcast here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ty Taylor. I'm the assistant head coach and co-defensive coordinator here at Pleasant Grove High School here in Texarkana, Texas. And although I spent most of my coaching career up to this point coaching the defensive line, I am now coaching inside linebackers, and I'm loving it, but I promise you, I ain't forgetting where I came from. We're still going to be focusing primarily on the defensive line with this podcast, but as is the case with today's guest, you can expect to see a few more linebacker coaches showing up as guests too, because look, I got a lot of learning to do when it comes to that, so, so you guys can learn right along with me. But right off the top here, I want to make sure I give a shout out to Coach Sadiq Kanes and the Sam Houston State Bearcats for winning the FCS National Championship over South Dakota State yesterday. It was an unbelievable season for the Bearcats, and as someone who has followed those guys, you know, really all of my life growing up in Huntsville and and both of my parents graduating from there, uh, it was awesome to see those guys finally get over the hump and win the big one. Uh, It was a great game, uh, a really exciting finish, and and just so, so once again, congratulations to Coach Haynes, Coach Casey Keeler, and the uh, Sam Houston State Bearcats. Now, before we dive into today's show and introduce our guest, I need to tell you about our two sponsors for season three of our podcast. Beginning with our friends at Go Edit Graphics. Now, if you spend any time on Twitter these days, you probably noticed that a ton of coaches and programs are promoting themselves and their programs with some awesome looking edits and graphics. And maybe you're thinking. Dude, how do I do that? Well, GoEdit Graphics is your answer. Now, what GoEdit Graphics does is allow any coach to create custom graphics in minutes by changing the colors, text, and images to make it their own. They offer categories like game day, scoring, player profiles, and, and communication, to name a few. The platform is easy, it's affordable, and no design skills are needed. So if you're looking for a way to promote the awesome things going on in your athletic program, then team at, Go at Graphics has got you covered. Subscriptions are for 12 months and include unlimited graphics. Here's something else that's cool. Make sure you keep your pads down or receive $25 off your showcase yearly package. Go check them out on Twitter at GoEditGraphics or visit their website through the link in today's show notes to see examples of the awesome graphics coaches have already created. You can also check out our Twitter feed for examples as well. Uh, for instance, our graphic for this week's episode with Coach Coates was created exclusively with Go Edit Graphics. Uh, so you can go and check that out as another example. But showcase your athletes with custom graphics in less than two minutes with Go Edit Graphics. Next up is Our Coaching Network. You know, Our Coaching Network is a new football coaching platform connecting coaches from all levels and helping them get better every week. Our Coaching Network has live clinics going off three to four nights a week. I'll have 150-plus hours of high-quality live coaching clinics this year with each week's clinics added to a library that can be referred back to at any time in the future. This week, we'll feature clinics on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday nights. And Thursday night's clinic features former KYPD guest and current Tyler Junior College defensive line coach Alex wears If you're a D-line coach, that's one you're going to want to make sure that you check out. It kicks off at 7.30 p.m. Central, So get on over to Our Coaching Network, create your account, it's going to cost you something like 50 cents a day, and level up on your football knowledge and begin learning and connecting with coaches from all over the country today. Okay, now let's talk about our guest for today's podcast, who coincidentally has also given a clinic on safety play earlier this winter on Our Coaching Network, did an outstanding job with that one. Today, we're talking with Round Rock Westwood High School defensive coordinator, Kyle Coates. Coach Coates is from Georgetown, Texas. Went on to play nickel and safety at Trinity University there in San Antonio, and then broke into coaching as a GA at Hardin-Simmons in 2011. In 2012, Coach Coates went back to his alma mater to coach special teams and DBs at Trinity for a season before heading back to Hardin-Simmons as a special teams coordinator and DBs coach, 2013 through 2016. From there, Coach landed the DC job at East Texas Baptist University at a job he held for just a few months. Before he got a call from Craig Niver at the University of Texas to come on uh, staff as an analyst for the Longhorns, a position he held from 2017 to 2019, before landing his current gig as a defensive coordinator and linebackers coach at Round Rock Westwood. Today we get the coach's atypical journey into coaching, a few GA stories from his time as a GA and analyst at Hardin-Simmons in Texas, and then we focus on the bulk of our conversation on linebacker play and the Warriors fire zone stunts that allow them to get creative with their pressures and disrupt an offense with a variety of different looks and coverages. We close out with Coach's best traveling advice and who has the best and worst press box in the Big 12, coming from an analyst's perspective. A ton of great stuff in today's episode, so let's dive in. Here's Coach Kyle Coates on episode number 106 of KYPD.
1: All right, Coach Coates, well, welcome to the podcast. Excited to talk some football tonight.
2: Absolutely, Ty. I appreciate you having me on.
1: Well, hey, you have had a, uh, a pretty interesting uh, coaching career up to this point and, and now are, are on the high school, in, in the high school ranks with, with, with us there at Round Rock Westwood, a great high school there uh, in Round Rock, Texas, just outside of Austin. But give us a brief rundown of your coaching history and, and just a few highlights from over the years.
2: Okay. Uh, well, I, I played at Georgetown High School, uh, grew up in Georgetown from the time I was in elementary school all the way through. So I was one of the kids that was lucky enough to make some best friends at three or four years old at preschool that I'm still friends with to this day. Uh, so I went to Georgetown, graduated with 06, six, uh, went to Trinity University and played safety there for four years. When I got done at Trinity, you know, it's one of those things people always have that moment when they got into coaching. Mine was not in college. I I did not have any interest in getting into coaching. I thought I went to Trinity. I paid all this money for college. I'm going to go get into business and be a millionaire, right? Well, before I did that, I decided to go to New Zealand, backpack around and learn a little bit about life. So I spent six months uh, overseas in New Zealand, backpacking, working at bars, You know, picking up odd jobs to make ends meet. I picked uh, blueberries, strawberries, any kind of berry I basically picked it while I was there. Uh, and I was there and I read, uh, Bobby Bowden's call to coaching. And in there, he talks about about 24, 25 years old, old coach comes up to him and says he thinks he'd be a great coach needs to look into it. And he said, once he got into it and the first day, he's like, this is what I was meant to do. And so I thought about, man, I've been playing football since I was eight years old. Maybe that's what I'm meant to do. Shoot out a bunch of emails and, and, you know, the story always goes the same. You shoot out a bunch of emails, and the only ones that responds is the one you go to. Well, yeah, of course that makes sense. But Jesse Burleson had just taken over as the head coach at Harden Simmons and shot me an email. Yeah, you can come GA. It's gonna be long hours and not much money, but if you want to work hard, we'll get you better. I said awesome, that's what I want. So I went down there. Uh when most guys were on spring break, I was in a little one-bedroom house in Abilene, moving my stuff in, thinking, you know, what have I got myself into? Whatever. And so uh, I worked that first year at, at Hardin-Simmons with uh, Jesse Burleson and his staff in that first year. That was 2011. ga for a year. Uh, got asked to stay on, but I got offered an opportunity to come back and be the outside linebackers coach at Trinity. Uh, so I got to go back to my alma mater coach for a year. Uh, in doing that, and I always tell guys, like, hey, when you're a GA, every day is a job interview because these guys essentially are the ones that are going to call you up and hire you back. And no truer to that sense that I go back and work at Trinity for one year, but I get a call from Jesse Burleson, hey, I need a special teams coordinator and DB's coach. Do you want to do that? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'd love the opportunity. Cool, I'm going to pay you X. And to me, like the price he was giving me at that point sounded like a million dollars in my head. I get to coach football, and I'm going to make that much money? Awesome. So I jumped at the opportunity, was there from 2013 to 2016. We had some awesome times, uh, set some school records. Uh, at one point, we had the best net punt and the best kickoff return team in all of college football, all divisions. So just based on average. So uh, that was pretty cool to get NCAA plaques for all that. Uh, From there, I was fortunate enough to get offered the DC job at East Texas Baptist. Uh, And again, life comes at you quick. That was in March. And into June, I get an opportunity to work camps at the university of Texas. I meet Craig Niver, who had worked or uh, played, excuse me, back in, you know, the early nineties to mid nineties at Harden Simmons had gone on to coach at a lot of division one programs. At that point was going to Texas. I worked with him in the safety group in our camps. And again, it goes back to the guys you work for. It's always a job interview. He calls me up and said, Hey, I got a GA spot. Would you be interested? Absolutely. Cool. You need to take this test. You need to send your stuff in. You need to be down here next Monday to start working. Yes, sir. So I had to have that hard conversation with my new head coach uh, hey, I'm leaving a D.C. job to go be a G.A. at the University of Texas. Kid that grew up in Austin, loving the Longhorns. My mom went to U.T., so I took the opportunity. Uh, went there as a G.A. Things didn't work out as far as my clock goes. Luckily for me, I got bumped into an analyst role. Went from being an analyst to being a quality control guy for three years. Uh, and then just this past, you know, right in the middle of pandemic is when I took this defensive coordinator job over at uh, Westwood which gave me the opportunity to come back coach linebackers. Like I'm a little bit more used to, uh, and run the defense here.
1: All right. A lot to unpack there. I want to go back to talk about your New Zealand trip. Now my wife spent a semester studying abroad in Australia, and New Zealand. And she always says like, if she, and she's been, she's traveled a whole lot more than me. She says that's the one place in the world she wants to go back and visit. So, all right, you're in New Zealand picking strawberries and blueberries. And of all things to read, you're reading a Bobby Bowden coaching book. Um, so, just just what was like? Was it one of those things where you just kind of look up one day and realize, like, what am I doing? And 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 this isn't what I want to do the rest of my life.
2: Absolutely. So, I I bartended all through college to help pay the bills, keep money in my pockets, so my parents didn't have to do the you know allowance type of deal like a lot of kids have, which is great. But I, I guess one of the things that I want to you know have my own way to provide for myself. And so same thing in New Zealand, I was working odd jobs, but I'm sitting here now. I got a college degree in my pocket, but I'm, you know, I'm traveling the world and that's great, but I'm also picking strawberries for, you know, (laughs) wake up at five and you get done at six. So, I mean, you're basically your entire week is gone. You have 500 bucks at the end and most guys go to the bar and spend all that. I wasn't really doing that, but I'm also sitting there. And I I guess what's called is hypo stress where you get so stressed out about not doing anything. Right. So a lot of kids, I always talk to our kids now, like you guys lay around and play video games all day. And you're just like, oh, this is the life. I was like, if I would do that, I would freak out after a day. I'm wasting my life. What am I doing? And so that's like you just said, a lot of that was like, "Okay, I'm looking up like, what do I want to do with my life? I got a business degree. I wanted to get into advertising. I do graphic design on the side. Like, what do I want to do? Football had been that one staple in my life of, okay, in football season, I've got football. I can hang my hat on that. And so that's where I started to read more. Uh, like there was one that was like the, the, the Bible of the X's and O's or something like that that I had read that ESPN had put out the book in like 2008. So I read through that one pretty fast. Uh, and again, when you're working at a bar at night and you got nothing to do during the day, all you do is sit around and read and or walk and look at all the sites. Well, New Zealand, like your wife can probably tell you, is not a very big place. So you see the sites pretty quick. You know, outside of the bungee jumping, the lugeing, all that stuff, it's like the extreme sports which I'm not a super extreme sports guy, but I'm like, you know, this is the bridge that the first person ever bungee jumped off of. If I'm ever going to do it, this is where I'm doing it. And so I did that. It's like 135 foot fall. Don't ever want to do that again, but I got that out of my system. So in the meantime, I had a lot of open time. I was reading. Bobby Bowden had always been kind of one of my coaching idols. Obviously he had a lot of success and had a lot of guys uh, that I always appreciated when you read the stories is, guys that had come in from broken homes, single family homes, guys that didn't come from anything. And he basically took them in and was like a father figure to those guys. And that's what I always prided myself on as, uh, as a player and as a captain in high school. Uh, I was trying to take those guys under your wing that didn't really have anybody looking out for, them, right? so I always resonated with that a little bit. Uh, and so through reading that book, like I said, there was a lot of times that I'm reading his background. I'm like, man, this guy had, every opportunity to go into the family business, to do this, that, and the other. And high school coaching was his first Avenue in. And that was, he said, right there was that moment. He got out there and coached the first day. It was like, yep, this is what God built me to do.
1: Yeah. I've read that book. It wasn't in New Zealand. Uh, I believe it was <laughs> when I was now it's, it's kind of similar life stage though, because I was a uh, volunteer coaching at the time, uh, in Oxford, Mississippi, while my wife was getting her, her, uh, master's at, at Ole Miss there. And, Kind of had going through the same stuff, like man, what am I doing here? And and that book definitely uh, was uh, reaffirming for me. Now you mentioned Coach Niver. I've heard, I've never met him. I uh, heard him speak at Lone Star Clinic, and um, I mean, from the time that he stood up to the time that he sat down, he was full tilt, you know, nonstop, like like worked up a good ladder, you know, talking DV play. Uh, also, a fellow Austin area guy, right from from Taylor, I believe. Taylor uh, Duck, yeah. So I'm sure you guys had that in common and talked about that a lot. Who are some other coaches along the way who've really influenced you?
2: Well, like I said, Jesse Burleson being my my first head coach in the uh, coaching realm. Uh, but another guy that, you know, it was funny because we got into uh, – when I first got to Trinity, Jeremy Urban was one of those guys that uh, had just gotten out of the league. He had played at Trinity. I had heard all the stories about this dude that was – six, four and ran a four, four. And man, he came to Trinity because he wanted to play quarterback and nobody would recruit him as a quarterback. Everybody wanted to walk on and play receiver. So, you know, one of the big things with Herb is he came to Trinity to play quarterback quickly, quickly realized, Hey, I'm going to get on the field as a freshman as a receiver. Cause I'm six foot four and I'm fast. Right. So one of the things I thought was really cool was when he got out of the league, he came back to Trinity because he wanted to get into coaching. Right. And so our first year, he actually was our assistant DBs coach and I'm coaching the outside linebackers. This guy's played nine years in the NFL. I'm sitting there at 24, 25 years old, first job. And we're sitting there learning everything exactly the same time. And it was cool that he went out of his way multiple times. Hey, man, let's let me grab you. Let's go to lunch, like ministry, all kinds of things. So just lean on me as a young coach. Hey, teach me about why guys in coverage do this. I've played receiver for this many years, but I don't understand why they do this in this coverage. So there's a lot of give and take. Now Jeremy is the head coach at Trinity. Uh, They're doing great things there. I just love how he pours into kids. And then I would be remiss if I didn't mention my mentor that originally I got into the game with, uh, Bob Fellow, who I is the actual uh, guy I GA'd for when I first got to Harden Simmons. And this guy had been roommates with Nick Saban in college. He played at Kent State. Uh, along, you know, alongside guys like Lou Holtz, Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of some of the other guys that were his roommates, but I mean, he's, he's been around some great coaches. He's also coached at William and Mary at the Citadel, Kansas, Kansas state, TCU, SMU, you know, been buddies with Phil Bennett and worked in a lot of places with him and Jim Gush and other names that like in the coaching profession, you say them and people just know who those guys are. Uh, And so I worked a year for him. And the one thing, that I I you know looking back at the time I hated every day right because it was a grind I'm making five thousand dollars over the course of a year I had to be there at six a.m. every day and I was usually there till eleven or midnight right but the work ethic and everything that he just continually instilled in me every day I mean I remember I used to go through and I would type up his notes right just old school he'd write everything by hand he'd hand it to me I'd go over I'd type in them into Word save them in his files print them out. Come and bring it over to him. He had this red pen. He would mark through any any corrections I needed to make. And so I got to the point where I was battling the pen, right? And so anytime I typed up his notes, I wanted to walk in there, pick that pen up, and have to put it right back down because everything was perfect, right? Well, the guy wrote in cursive. So nine times out of 10, I was going to screw something up. But that was my goal. And that was the kind of thing that he instilled in you if you saw it. Now, he was tough on you. You know, like one of the GA stories I love to tell is, we go out there one of the first days and in high school, I was a safety and a quarterback. So I always, you know, I'm, I'm the guy at practice that has the best arm kind of thing. So we go out there and I'm working with the safeties and we're throwing speed turns. So one of the first times I go out there to throw it, you know, we're out in West Texas, we got strong winds. I swirl one up there and it gets hung up in the wind. One of our DBs is running, looking over his shoulder and like looks down ball falls like 10 yards in front of him. He turns around and he's like, Hey, Nancy, why don't you give him the ball? He can catch. Okay, well, as a 23-year-old hothead. At that point, I'm like, all right, old man, I'll show you. I take a three-step drop on the next kid, and I launch one, you know? In my mind, it went 70 yards, probably went about 40, but we're doing a 20-yard drill. So this next kid is dropping into his pedal and just watches his ball sail over the top. Fellow turns around and looks at me he goes, Hey, Joe Montana, the drill's for them. Take it easy.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's – that's uh... Nothing like, you know, those coaches that, that just kind of uh, know how to humble you real quick and, 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 you know, make you pay attention to the details. All right. You already mentioned one GA story. Do you have any other solid GA stories from your time, either at Hardin Simmons or at Texas?
2: Uh, I mean, so, some of the best ones I would think are just like being around the guys. Like I remember, uh, you know, UT one of the first Nivers our special teams coordinator as well. And so, uh, Casey Horney was our special teams QC, but I was like the print the notes guys, staple it together, help those guys out in any way I can. Right. And so again, like a GA, you're going to wear a lot of hats. So I was in that analyst QC role. It's all the same thing, right? Essentially you're getting a, a check and you're getting benefits, but you're doing the same type of jobs within the confines of what the NCAA lets you do. So I was printing notes. I'm handing stuff out and I'll never forget one of the first special teams meetings. I walk in, I sit down, I'm ready to take notes. And Drew Maringer, I believe, was sitting next to me and I'm wearing a hat. And I didn't know it was a mortal hat, like a mortal sin to wear your hat in a meeting room. So he leans over and like smacks the hat off my head. I'm thinking, this guy's a jerk. What was that about? And then I look up and Herman's walking down the hallway and he goes, I just saved your life. And I'm like, okay, great. Appreciate it. And not like 10 seconds later, I'm ready for special teams. I got my notes. I'm ready to roll. Never been in one of these before. And Seek and Destroy by Metallica gets cranked up. And like you said, Niver comes sprinting to the front of the room at 47 years old or whatever, and just starts screaming and doesn't stop screaming until the end of the meeting. But every point was loud, succinct to the point in your face. And I'm sitting there going like, okay, that's not how I coach. Is that how I need to coach? Uh, I need to figure this out again. Everybody's got their own style, but that was like a, Oh crap. Is this what D one football is?
1: Yeah. It was at the, I heard him speak at the Lone Star clinic and it's one of those big rooms, you know, a lot of coaches in there, but I'm telling you like, Ten minutes into it, I'm ready to go play. You know?
2: Oh yeah, you ready to run through a wall? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Let's go. Like let, let's let's push these tables back and, and get going here. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, you you've been fortunate enough to, to be around some great coaches uh, in your time as a coach. Uh, let's let's talk about now just just about coaching linebackers. This is a topic that's uh, immediately relevant to me now. Uh, now that that I am coaching linebackers here at Pleasant Grove, and it's a new thing for me, and it's one thing from. You know, it's one thing to watch those guys from afar as a defensive line coach and to turn around and, you know, uh, count on those guys to always make us right. Now when you're, when you're coaching them, it's a, to- a totally different perspective. So let's start with just, uh, just your coaching progression for your linebackers. Like when you walk out there and spring ball, what are some things, how are you starting with those guys, and, and what's your progression for coaching those guys up?
2: So in those first probably ten practices, the first thing on my indie drills will always say stance right? I'm a big guy. on getting guys pad level low. Um, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have have a shoot to get those guys underneath and work your drills underneath the shoot, I think that is pays dividends, you know, on top of anything you can possibly do. But one of the things I always start with, like I said, is stance. So I'm trying to get those guys in a stance. I basically put them into two lines. Here's my max. Here's my rovers. If the nickels are with us, we'll get those guys in stance as well. All I'm doing is the first group steps up. I call stance. I go up to them, I give them a push forward, push backwards, make sure they're on the balls of their feet. If anything, I want you rocking forward. I don't want you falling back on your heels. So I'll go up and kind of push them along, right? So then we'll do that with the whole first group, put them in a line, stance. We all get into our stance. I kind of walk and look at stances. All right, rest, stance. So we'll do that. What we evolve into is now we get to day two and three. Okay, when I say stance, I want you down to stance. And then I'm just going to pull the ball one way or the other. I want to see your first two or three rock steps right? So our steps are short and choppy. That way with you know, if we're keying an H back, for example, and he goes one way, my next key goes to the running back. So I need to know, all right, my choppy steps might go right first, but now I need to redirect I can roll back to the left. So we'll start with our stance into some nice choppy steps, just coming downhill, always downhill. I don't try to teach too much lateral because you get guys that start going backwards when you ask them to go lateral. So I feel like if I can coach you in drills to come downhill the worst thing you're doing is going sideways. So I always trying to teach to that. From that point, we work into what we call our wave drill, which is just your basic, I'm going to say stance again. You're down your stance. I'm just going to move the ball left and right, and I want you shuffling, coming downhill towards me. I usually do it two or three times, and then I pull them, so that way I can see them break out of their shuffles. Because what the first mistake every kid makes is they take a huge drop step. Now they've wasted momentum. They've wasted time. And the whole point of you working downhill in your shuffle so you can just stick that foot and keep on coming. So that's our next progression. From there, we'll work our shuffles down into an angle drop. Just want to see them be able to open up over their shoulder. So essentially, you're training them to get in a stance, work forward, work side to side, and then work forward, then dropping back. Biggest thing I try to reiterate to the linebackers is if you're going to be wrong, be wrong going forward as a linebacker. I would rather you... Be forward, you know, coming forward, stopping the run, and the DBs do their job. Then, us worry about, man, I got to cover the pass, and then we get gashed for 400 yards in the the run game. So, they're first and foremost, we're stopping the run. So, I want you guys coming downhill. And, like I always tell them when we're playing our gaps, for example, if I shoot my gap and I realize it's passed, just keep on coming, don't get caught in no man's land. And so, that's one of our big things. The next thing we'll kind of work into is our keys as far as like, okay, if I have a single back in the backfield. We always keep ball. And what I mean by ball is I teach, is there a mesh or is there no mesh? If there's mesh, we attack the run. If there is no mesh, we can go into our pass responsibilities off of our read steps. If there's two backs in the backfield, right? Your traditional H-back, right? Sniffer like everybody uses nowadays. Our first camera is always on the H-back. So we teach it like, you know, like if you're in a studio, you got camera one from the front angle, you got camera two from the side angle. So we teach camera one, camera two. HVAC's camera one. He takes me in my initial steps. Camera two is the running back or the ball, right? Mesh or no mesh, which will take me into, is it a runner or pass? Do I need to come downhill or work lateral? So, you know, biggest things right now is we're getting a lot of uh, power encounter counter from our offense. So when a guy's taking the wrong steps and gets himself into trouble because now the puller or, or the HVAC can get up to him, I always say, hey, where'd the HVAC go? To the right. Where'd your steps go? To the left. Why? Because I wasn't on camera one. Exactly. Got to go to camera one before you can go to camera two. So that's kind of our next read progression of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so just, just stop you right there and, and, and kind of uh, ask you about some of those things. Is is keying the H-back, is that – that's like that's always going to be the case or is it kind of one of those things like that's – do you change it up each week? Because obviously you're not going to see an H-back every week, but is it is it is the progression like H-back to near-back?
2: Yeah, so – so we we base that off a of game plan. And so, yeah. like, my general rule is if you look at a lot of these teams that work with a sniffer, he gives away 9 out of 10's plays. So my thing is if 90 to, 90% of the time he's going to take me the ball, I'm going to read that guy. Right. You're always going to have people that false key you. But, again, that goes back to why you have a camera too. Because if I just, you know, tuck tail and run because the HVAC went that way, but then all of a sudden they run spread out to the field, yeah, you're going to have issues. So my big thing is – you teach them to teach their initial steps off the H and now if the ball's going that way and I can see that on camera two, great. I've already put myself in position to get there. If now off of camera two the ball's going the other way. I take my lead steps and then what we call rock and roll back. So I rock to the H and then I roll back to where the ball's going.
1: You mentioned seeing a lot of gap scheme from, from your offense. How are you coaching up gap scheme fits with those guys?
2: So we, we basically spit, uh, we spend time teaching it because we are multiple in the fact that we run a three, four multiple. It's the Aranda Orlando Ron Roberts system with a lot of three down tight front. Then we'll walk down the buck and play, you know, even front or over front, depending on what you want to call it. Uh, and then do some stuff out of that. So we can get to four down with decreasing the buck. We can also get into three down with walking the buck off and playing like an outside linebacker. So that's kind of that hybrid kid you kind of have to have that can do a little bit of both. Um, but with a lot of what we do, I teach the first thing because we do so much tight front. I teach it out of a three down system where essentially your B gaps and your A gap is canceled, right? Again, you should have one A gap. It's still technically open, but the way we train our nose, I'm fortunate in the fact that our nose is a sophomore right now, going to be a junior that's six, three and a half and two ninety. So all I tell them is, Grab the center and go put him in the quarterback's lap every single time. Cause he knocks off pullers. He does all that stuff. But essentially what we train is if I'm keying the H back in camera one. Okay, so let's say, for example, the backs are stacked on the same side, your traditional uh, OY or OH counter, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So you're gonna a guard pull with against us majority of the times with the four eye, you're not gonna pull your guard, you're gonna pull your tackle, and you're gonna block back with your well, on the four eye with the guard. So you'll have most likely that sniffer kick out first and then they're going to wrap the tackle and almost make it like a dart counter, right? And so what we try to train is, as I'm reading through my camera one, so both of us eyes on the H, the easiest thing to see when we're seeing a pull and our rule is if you see pull, say pull. Because pull tells near backer, I trigger to split the two pullers. The far backer can now shuffle to play inside. And so the backer now, when he's making that pull call, his eyes go straight to the front side looking for guard tackle, working up to him because he has to fit over the top of the block and feed any cutback now to your overhang, whether that be the buck or the nickel. The nickel or the buck is always the edge setter. So we basically say he's going to set it, I'm going to split it, it's going to feed back to me. And so that's why those parts and same pull is so important in what we do is because in a four eye, you don't have that guy that can spill it like you do when you have a five. When we're in our four down fits, it's a little bit different. I've got a guy that can naturally spill so that fold guy is kind of bonus. The front side guy can still split it. And now we're really hoping that thing has to bounce all the way out to the nickel or buck who's standing on the edge.
1: Right, so your play side linebacker there uh, is he ripping that C gap? Is that kind of what he's doing? Is he replacing, you know, you would say maybe he's replacing the DN's feet, but not really because he's playing a four eye, but if he was playing mm-hmm. a five, I mean, he's, 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 stepping he's, he's
2: great is what we yeah. call it. He's basically yeah. scraping, scraping paint on the tackle, trying to blow that thing up. And what I say is if you make a car crash, right. And one of the ways we teach that is we actually work. We'll put down agiles for five, you know, defensive linemen. I'll line up as the backside guard tackle. We'll have an H start. Like he's going the other way and I'll turn my shoulders like I'm pulling so I can get the pull calls out of them. And then we just take the S sled or the single man sled and we stack it right where the tackle is. So when he hears pull, it turns into I'm downhill and hit the sled. And so that's been an effective way to kind of teach coming downhill. Now, you've got to have aggressive kids to do that because now you're asking the kid, the second you hear the word pull, it's like hearing the word go, I trigger and blow everything up. And if I create a car crash, ball either goes back to him or goes out to him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like, you know, now again, this is all kind of new stuff to me, seeing things from a different perspective, but teaching those linebackers where you got one gap responsibility, you check that thing. And then now you're, you're fitting fast. Um, because we don't want those guys floating in space, like you kind of like you've alluded mm-hmm. to in no man's land. One thing that is that, that I'm discovering that is a little trickier, like like gap schemes are a little easier to, to talk fits. It's, it's stretch and zone schemes can get a little dicey sometimes. Now, the ways that Absolutely. you guys have it, it cleans it up a little bit, makes it a little tougher for combos. But talk about that, like fitting uh, inside zone, stretch, things like that.
2: So, you know, for example, I'll go back to the, the HVAC, because I think that still makes it hard, because we, we get a lot of insert. Right. And so they'll insert either through uh, blocking, uh, you know, I guess with the zero, it's a little bit harder. But a lot of times they're inserting right to where the four eye is and they're trying to combo four eye up to the backer. And so what we try to teach is the same thing. I'm reading the H back's path. So right now, if he's coming to the middle, both of our feet should take us to the middle. So the back and the rover should all of a sudden get tight. Reed back's path is downhill. We feel gaps. And so, just like you said, whether it's a zone scheme, outside zone, inside zone, stretch we try to work lateral with the back and basically keep him vice between the two backers once he commits to go downhill we commit through the gap if there's ever a chance as a backside guy that i can shoot a gap and make a play i don't want you to be a robot go make a play right but perfect example is you know we were working stuff on tuesday where they run some gap scheme at us and you teach them that for zone however they run a gap scheme and the kid sees an open b gap because they pulled their guard Kid tries to insert and then wonders why counter hit outside. Well, hey, dummy, we just talked about C pull, say pull. So when you say pull and it triggers him, that should also tell you, I need to pull myself this way. And so again, it goes into, you don't want to overcoach it to the point where, you know, you got robots out there, but there's also got to be an understanding of, all right, read the path and not necessarily, oh, there's an open gap. I should just go. Yeah. Yeah. Do the impressive though. That's the hard part. And I know that's always one of the things that you, you teach reads and keys, but you also sometimes just love that kid that comes downhill and wants to hit anything.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things. Again, uh, being new to this, that I'm learning is that it's really it's it's almost like, uh, and I've explained this when when talking about defensive line play as well. But it's like uh, coaching someone one up on their on their golf swing. You know, you can give that person so many tips that they can't even bring the club head back. You know, um, so it's kind of like finding the balance of all right. Here's a couple things. To think about and to know and and to and to to do, but then man, just just relax and swing away. You know, I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of the same, kind of the same thing, especially with those linebackers, because you can, you know, overcoach them to the point where they're just paralyzed and not really sure they're not triggering, and now they're getting blown up five yards back because, uh, you know, they're just not really sure what to do and they're overthinking things.
2: Yeah, I think that's a lot like you know whether you're teaching run fits. I mean, we rep run fits for. If I've got an extra 10 minutes like tomorrow's practice, I'm going to take 10 minutes to work run fits versus two backs and versus a down tight end because they're, they're two different things. And so, uh, you know, really trying to hone in on those guys and understanding like, okay, when we're in our four down, yeah, you got a straight gap, but I'm reading the back. So I might be an A-gap player, but if it's outside zone, do I care about the A-gap? Everybody in the room should say no.
1: Right, right. Because now
2: your A-gap gets taken by the half-hole behind backer. That's you know shuffling with you trying to keep edge on the back, and so it's just like you said, you don't want to overcoach it, but you also want them to understand if this thing opens up and it's downhill run. Meet them in the hole and go blow them up, right?
0: Yeah, tees yeah. are
2: great. I love playing second and twelve it makes yeah. my job really easy. Yeah, went second and five, second and three.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. Well, we uh, we're, we're going to talk some some um, some fire zones now, and and that's one thing uh, I've always really liked uh, kind of, you know, drawing up and is, and is really fun to, to, to look at when you think about all the possibilities there, but haven't gotten into it a whole lot. So just talk to me about that and, and, and the, the, the logic behind using fire zones and what that allows you to do uh, with your coverages, with your, with your pressures when you incorporate those in your defense.
2: Okay. Yeah. I, I think any time that you can bring five to the party, uh, you know, and there's there's a multitude of ways you can bring them. You can bring both backers. You can bring an edge guy and a backer. You can roll out a safety. I mean, we we ran every pattern you can think of when I was at Texas with Orlando. Uh, I know Oranda's got some some favorite patterns. Some of the creeper stuff he does. It's not really the fire zone family, but you know, the one thing is, I was taught early on that the threat of the blitz is better than the blitz itself.
1: Yes, that's that's definitely an Oranda yeah. thing. Oh yeah.
2: Being able to show, you know, pressure from one side and play coverage, being able to show pressure from one side and bring it from the other side, anything that can screw up those offensive linemen. It's like I constantly tell our guys, just like in our fire zone, right? I teach the two underneath guys on the edge. They're in a skiff technique off of number two. So all you got to do if you're an edge guy is be able to count to number two. Okay? If you're the middle linebacker that's not blitzing, I'm a mid-three player. So if you can count to three, you can play for me. Right. It's a corny little saying. And we got a lot of kids that have really high SATs at Westwood. So they always giggle at that, but I mean, it's, it's that simple, right? So if I see three fly the flat, well, there's going to be a new number three, I better find him. And so one of the things like with these concepts is I want the offensive line to have to go through that same progression of counting to three or four, or whatever it is in their scheme, right? Slides going this way and they are sliding four guys. They better be able to count to four but all of a sudden four is coming from the other side, you know? And so being able to make those guys not only think, but think on the run, especially as heat's coming in their face, I think is what makes this such a good scheme. Uh, and then my thing is you can play basically cover one or man with everything. Uh, you know, a lot of people have gone to where their fire zones now become almost like match coverage, where you're going to match carry, deliver your edge guys, and you're going to carry three through the zone with your middle guy. I think you have to have some skilled players to do that. We were able to do that at Texas because we had some guys that, you know, essentially our nickel, our field safety, our boundary safety, and our Joker, which is essentially what we subbed the buck out for. Well, they were all, you know, four star safeties coming out of high school. Yeah, you should be able to play match coverage and go man to man on guys, right? You're still going to have some mismatches just because some slots are faster than some safeties, uh, but you're able to now do a multitude of things. The thing I've always appreciated about fire zones is you get your three underneath and your three deep. So if I'm able to bring five, you should not be able to throw four verticals or else I'm blitzing the wrong five, right? If Somebody can't get clean to your quarterback and make him get off the spot that he can sit back there and pocket and throw four verts, probably shouldn't be running those zones anyways, right? But what I really like it for is, again, you see so much H-back and tight end set where no offense to any tight ends out there, but I'm going to make you show me I have to respect you before I respect you, Right? Now, if you put four cats out there at receiver and go two by two, three by one, yeah, okay, I got to think a little bit about what I want to do right here if fire zone's the answer. But again, if I'm bringing five, I'm assuming the ball has to come out quick. So I've got three guys underneath that handle the quick throws. I've got three guys over the top to take any shots, anything thrown down the middle of the field, and then how you train those guys in their coverage zones all fits into, okay, what type of routes do we get. Perfect example is your middle field guy is called a post player. Well, I don't teach them to run to the middle of the field and play the quote-unquote post. In my opinion, the post is a guy. So if you're looking out there and it's two by one, the most likely threat to the post is number two on the strong side. So if you're a backside safety, you better cheat your butt over to where you can get to number two if he goes vertical because that's going to be your guy. Now, if number two runs to the flat, yeah, you're back in the middle of the field, square yourself up, read the quarterback. But again, trying to train those guys that, okay, like for example – if I'm a skiff player, skiff, S-C-I-F, is off of number two. A skiff technique means I'm going to hold off the seam, curl, and I will leverage the immediate flat. So if two runs a seam, I better beat the hell out of him so he can't get to my safety. If he runs a curl, I better sit there and hold him off until I get to the last roll any immediate flat, because I got no flat player. So the second now, let's say I'm holding off two in a two-by-two set, and the backside two comes to fly the flat or the back swings, I have to get off of that man to now leverage into the flat. And now the mid three player, again, has to be able to count to three. My three goes to the flat. I better go find my new number three. That's now to the strong side, number two, run a curl. So it's, again, training those techniques. And we do a lot of that kind of uh, skill training, right? Really coverage training in with those guys because the nickel, the buck, and the Mack and Rover all come together. And we'll just work, hey, it's a two-by-one. Okay, back swings this way. Let's go through our concepts and work to our drops. And so we get a lot of reps of that. And then I also incorporate those into pass hole. Obviously, we're not going to blitz guys and try to hit the quarterback when we're not getting blocked, but I want those two guys to go up, take a knee, like, hey, we know we're the blitzers. These guys work their drops because it's just great training to get. Hey, what happens if the pressure doesn't get there? Right? Now you got to play your zone your bodies.
1: You mentioned that and and this is why I, I, I like these so much and, and, and um, you know, I think why they're so successful is because of the opportunities that you have to uh, to present a bunch of different looks. Like bring a bunch of different guys uh, from different places, you know, and again, uh, you could you have your creepers, you have your guys showing on one side and, and so you can get them to check hot or whatever uh, and kind of and, and really put the quarterback in a bind pre-snap. What are some variances that you like out of it, some some change-ups, whether it be who's coming or their alignments pre-snap that you like to throw in?
2: So I I am a big fan of America's Blitz. I mean, bringing the Mac and the the nickel from the same side, uh, I like being able to have the nickel come first and wrap the Mac around. I like doing the same thing from the boundary side. I think that's one of the hardest pressures to pick up is when you have your rover start to walk to the edge and then you send your buck flying into the B-gap from the outside wrapped the rover around the edge. I mean, we played our scrimmage, uh, I guess, first week of September. And I remember first drive of the game in the scrimmage, we did a little live half at the end. They had a a fourth and one or third and one. They were going for it. I guess it was third and one. And we ran that boundary side pressure where the buck threw himself in flat. The tackle saw the rover starting to wrap, so the tackle set out. Buck threw himself in the B-gap in inside zone, smoked the guy for a four-yard loss, they punished the ball. So I guess it was on third down. Um, but I like those pressures. I'm a really big fan of crossing the Mac and the Rover into the B gaps so working a stunt basically with the nose. Um, but then anytime you can incorporate a corner blitz where you're bringing the buck in the corner as your five uh, or you're bringing the nickel and the buck both off the edges, I think that's all good stuff. Again, it goes to where can you exploit a weakness? So my thing is if you see that they're not very good at you know, their fieldside tackle, whether it be the right tackle, left tackle, whatever, if that guy has a problem in space taking a guy off the edge, then, yeah, I'm going to send my fast guy off your edge and make you move that guy, and I'm just going to have the Mac replace. You know, like especially uh, slide teams, I like to blitz into the slide where you can have that four-eye pull the guard off, have the Mac wrap because you sit your back away from me. So now, where most guys want to attack the man's side, if I can get you to pull somebody off the slide, I got a free path to your quarterback, and you got nobody that can come back and block him. Again, the kid better be able to face that and get him off
1: the slide. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 that's, a, that's, that's, that's a, another way to think about it that I hadn't thought about before attacking that slide side. You, you, you've already kind of touched on it. Uh, what, you know, what situations in a game or uh, – and then maybe even some offensive schemes kind of dictate when you might call these stunts. Like when's the situation you're like, hey, this is what we're getting. Here's a good, here's a good chance or a good opportunity uh, to, to, to run a fire zone.
2: So any third, and medium, or shorter, I mean, I'm not a, I would say probably third and four or less. I'm okay with running some fire zone because the ball's going to come out quick anyways, majority of the time. Uh, Anytime I still think you're running, I think the fire zones that are are built to kill the run, I think you're smart to force the ball to go lateral instead of downhill, especially on, like I said, the the third and one example that we got. Um, I, I think a lot of them, I like on first and second down just to try to get them behind the sticks. You know, if, again, if I can get you to second and 12, second and 14, or on first down I can get you to throw me the ball, nothing is more demoralizing. So at the end of the day, I, I want to try to put you in negative situations as fast as possible. So if that's getting in you into second and 12, second and 15, then, hey, man, I'll take that all day long because now I can sit there and play Tampa. Hopefully you try to get half and I got guys sitting where you want to throw it and I'll take the ball away get you into third and long, and now I can get into some dime fire zones and uh, maybe even play a little man coverage if I got the guys for
1: it. I, I think this is the way kind of your thought process, just hearing you talk, and and, and so uh, hopefully I'm not too far off here, but, um, you know, it sounds like you're kind of packaging these stunts into families or into groups so that everybody kind of understands, like, this is the concept for this. This is what I'm asked to do. And then we get into, like you just mentioned, to our dime fire zones. Uh, so how are you kind of packaging those things so your kids can remember them and and it's and it's really easy for them to recall and they're not out there thinking.
2: So we've actually built it to this point where now um, for example, you know, we want to run a nickel fire from the field, but I just want to bring the nickel and I want to stunt the 3D lineman, right? Well, we can play that with cover three, we can play that with cover four, cover eight, you know, just there's variables that you can stick in there. And so we've tried to teach every coverage to where, all right, let's replace a guy. So the same way we teach a single fire by the nickel, that's the exact same thing to the D-line and the nickel as if I want to bring on the Mac as well, right? So now the nickel's still off the edge, still working guys across, you know, cross-face to the boundary, but now the Mac's just going to rip to the B-gap, okay? So try to package it as far as, okay, what's the, again, what's the point of this? I want to bring a field pressure, Okay, well, do I want to bring four guys and play more coverage, or do I want to bring five guys and try to get the sack out of it? You know, if I can sack them with four, hell, all I'm doing is basically stunting from tight to an even, anyways. And so that's what I like about those. Same way we build in our buck pressures, we're bringing the buck off the boundary side. We stunt to the field. You can play that with quarter, quarter, half. You can play that with quarter, quarter, invert. You can play that with quarters across the board if you want. Um, Hell, you can roll cover three really if you want to. Also, so there's just so many variables. So again, like you said. Try to package them in families where, okay, if we're bringing the buck or we want to bring the buck plus one, now we know if we want to go plus one, we've got to be in our dog family. And essentially, like I said, we teach it with two skiff players and a mid three player. Okay. If I want to just bring the buck, well, they know the majority of the time I'm going to call either invert on the backside or play cloud, right? And so sky or clouds are easy check. We're either inverted half or we're playing half on the backside. And so in that way, again, all the buck has to know is, okay, if it's boundary or buck, I'm coming off the edge, okay? The nickel needs to know, is it Nike or is it field? Okay, either way, I'm coming off the edge. It's either a plus one and we're playing dog behind it, or we're going to run our, our coverage call off of what Nike is, right? Just a single pressure fire. So again, it's like you said, it's putting it in families, trying to teach it where this is the blitz, here's the blitz plus one to make a fire zone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's something we're uh we're kind of doing this this spring and, and it really is is uh, is working well with our kids picking it up because they understand that like hey this is what you're asked to do in this family of stunts and it's all we just we build on it and and you know just kind of it's all your teaching concepts and that's been a great way for them to to, to pick something up and and I really like that that approach to teaching things uh when you're when you're doing your team periods is this are these are you running these you know during team, there's kind of different schools of thought like some guys want to stay in base and team just to to get fits and everything. but um, when you're running team versus versus your scout offense, will you incorporate a lot of stunts just so guys get practice running them you know in live situations or do you kind of reserve blitzes for blitz periods?
2: uh I'll sprinkle them in I, I, again, like you said I, I like using a lot of base early on when we've got five or six ways to play base coverage with different fronts. And so, uh, you know, for example, like if I want to play cover eight and I want to be in the tight world, I'm going to add the buck and just play buck eight. So to me, I'm not, not really blitzing. I'm just adding another guy. Where I really feel like I'm blitzing is where I'm trying to run a fire zone and I will sprinkle those in. You know, if, if I'm going to have a rack of four for the ones, they may get one. But a majority of what they're going to get is going to be baseball football. Because in my opinion, when we're going against the offense and our team drive segment, that's more of where I want to see. Because, you know, it's, it's easy to sit there and be like, man, all this stuff looks great against the, the JV offensive line who already doesn't really want to do what they're doing anyways. So I'd rather see them get those reps, or those real reps. And our coach does a heck of a job of putting us into situational football and just really putting the chains out. Let's drive the field. We'll go till you stop me, and then the JV will come back, you know? And so those kids are all getting reps of it. And so still, a lot of what I'm calling them is football because I want to see you read go through your progression, especially in spring. Like I'm not trying to win the drill, but there are also times like, Hey, this is a time where I'm going to call this. Let me call it and see how you guys do. They're running two back, you know, downhill run at us. I want to bring double edge off the field side. I want to bring double edge from the boundary because they put two receivers out here the field and they're running screen game out here. So I want to see if the skiff player will sit there or if he tries to run in the box because they give him a run fake and then they throw the bubble. We watch it hit the sideline and peace out, my brother, I'm going.
1: So you mentioned something there I think is interesting that that I've always wanted to do is uh, do you guys use chains during your team period like actually set the chains and so how are you so let's just talk about that because I I think that's a that's that's a great idea and something I've always talked about because you know one of the worst things that that happens and, it, and it, as a coach I can't believe that it does happen but it happens probably more often than we like to admit is kids get in a game and they don't know the down and distance they don't know the situation they're just out there playing. And so mm-hmm. when we all know it's third and seven or third and eight, and we, hey, we it's pass rush D-line or let's, let's, you know, kind of key on a, on what's coming here. And they're just, they're just out there, you know, and have no clue what's going on. And so I think that you have to actively teach those guys to understand, like, all right, it's, it's third and long. You know, it's just like in baseball when guys are holding up, hey, we got two down, you know, and that, that affects how they're going to play defense, oh, yeah. how they even got to play offense, whatever. So yeah, just talk about how you're running your team period and and to make that as maybe as, as game like as possible.
2: Yeah. And so like when not so much right now because we're still in the teaching phase and and the one thing I've appreciated is, you know, I, I guess you get that hour, uh I don't know when it really starts in the offseason, but you get that hour where you can kind of go out there and run drills and stuff with them. Yeah. You know, kind of you got off season and then as soon as off season's over, you get like, you know, 15, 20 minutes of drills. So we basically installed, got to spring ball and reinstalled throughout the summer. We'll install again as far as go back and reteach and make sure all the points are covered. And then when we start fall camp, it'll be an install progression as well. And so and it was kind of that same school of thought with Orlando and, and Niver. they wanted to get the entire stuff installed four times before we ever took the field in game. Okay. So by then, you should know, all right, scratch that page in the playbook. This stuff doesn't work for this group. Hey, this team's going to be more of a four-down team. So, again, with being multiple, well, heck, if I know we're a better four-down than we're a three-down, then I'm I'm an idiot for trying to keep us in tight front, you know? Uh, so, again, it allows you to kind of get through that progression and, and to teach right now. But in the fall, my approach to team segments, especially scout teams, a little bit different, I treat it all like, First, first, second, third, right? And so our first week, we'll go through, hey, we're gonna run two of their first down plays, we're gonna run a second down play in you, and I'm gonna start teaching the third down on Monday. That way I know sometimes it gets gets a little convoluted where, you know, in, in the past I've had it where third down day is, you know, we start teaching third down and goal line on Tuesdays. You know, you break it up where hey, Monday's a first and second down day. And we're gonna come back and work third down on on Tuesdays and we're gonna work goal line then. And then Wednesday is going to be drives and everything, you know, and then Thursday's Polish. And then we go into Friday and we play. Um, My thing going into this season, we started that way. And then towards probably about halfway through the season, I'm like, we just don't have enough time in team periods. We need to start teaching it. Hey, we're going to run first down. That one doesn't count. First down, second down, third down, treat it like a series, you know? So four play racks and we work the chains on the sideline. And then when we go to our actual good on good ones versus ones will actually work drives and he doesn't try to gas them out, especially during the season. But right now during the spring, he lets them drive the field. So if we can't stop them. They're going all the way to the goal line and scoring. So you get all your situational teaching on film where in the, in the field, like you said, they're just playing to play. So yeah, they should see that it's third down and I'm coaching them on the sideline. It's third down, it's third down. But you know, as a D line guy, you know, Hey, I'm in even front coach said, I'm supposed to be in a five technique. Well, hey, it's third and nine. I don't need to be in a five where this guy can get his hands on me. I can widen out to a nine and rush the edge. Well, that's stuff we're all having to teach right now because the kids are, well, you told me to be in a five, so I'm in a five. Okay, well, let's teach football right now, (laughs) you know, that football IQ up, and then we can go from there.
1: Yeah, it's back to what you are talking about earlier with the linebackers and their gap. But, Coach, you said I have A gap. Yes, but the running back just hit his head on the sideline, you know, running stretch, and you're still – but you got your A gap, dude, dude. Good job. Uh, And and,
2: and that's a perfect example. I had a player come up to me. One of my one of my backers came up to me after our last scrimmage, and he said, "Hey, coach, you always talk about keeping my leverage on the back." I said, "Yeah," and he's like, "So, if my leverage tells me I'm in the A gap, then how do I keep leverage on the back?" And I go, "Okay, well, that's a perfect example of what you say and what they hear aren't the two aren't the same things." Yeah. So I was like, "Okay, let me talk to you about what I mean by leverage." When I say keep leverage on the ball, that means if he's on my inside shoulder and he goes that way, I don't want to run outside and try to make an outside tackle if he's already on my inside shoulder. So your leverage is your position as according to the ball. Your leverage has nothing to do with your gap. Oh. So perfect example. This is a kid that's going to play a lot of snaps for us, and he had no idea what I was talking about when I talked about gap versus leverage. He thought it was the same thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Again, I was supposed to be the A gap, but the ball went there. And you're telling me to keep my leverage on the ball. What does that mean? Well, do I need to play the A gap if the ball went there? He goes, No. I said, That's what I mean. Yeah. I have a gap, but I also want to keep leverage on the ball. The ball going outside, I better get my butt outside.
1: Which is why, probably, Coach Orlando wanted those things installed four times before you played a game because 100%. You got to get all that stuff out before you actually uh, line up for a real game because. Uh, you know, it's, it's, and and that's what I always, you know, you talked about starting with stance all the time and I always tell the guys, like, look, I know y'all rolling your eyes at this, you guys who've been with me for three years, but like, we're not going to leave, I'm not going to leave anything to, to chance or take anything for granted because every time you go through it, inevitably they always pick up on something like, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. We're going to fix this habit that you kind of got into late last season when, you know, you maybe you'd start getting tired and your pad level would come up or whatever. And so I just think that that's one of those things that you always have to harken back to those day one things, you know, and, and then work through that progression again, as, as mundane as, as it is sometimes. Um, but maybe that third or fourth time you can work through it a little faster than you did the first two times. But anyway. well, and,
2: and, and to your point, you know, when I coached safeties and corners at Arden Simmons, very first day of spring ball, we would do stance and plant point drive for the same thing you just said. Guys get lazy through the season. Their brakes start to get sloppy. They're a step away from making a pick. So we would sit there and I would literally say stance. they get down in their stance. I'd be like, left foot, plant. They would plant to a T plant. I would say point. They would point with the right foot. And I would say drive. And they are supposed to drive at a 45 this way. So these kids have been playing football since they were little kids. They know how to T plant. Show me you know how to do it. So let's work through it. And then you work into a slow pedal. Then you work into a speed pedal, you know? So it's like you said, you, you're reteaching stuff all the time. And and I think that's where we can fail as coaches. If we're like, Oh no, he just knows that. No, I mean, you still need to work it. Right. Know it or not. Somebody in your group needs to get better at that. And you're only making everybody else better if you are working it.
1: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Because as soon as you get away from that stuff and, and start gravitating towards those other things, then that's when your fundamentals fall apart. And then, and then you're frustrated because you're not making plays. Or like you said, guys are steps away from making a pick or, or breaking up a ball or whatever. And, and it's because you've gotten away from those fundamentals, which
2: coach is, Burleson used to use an old saying, the guys who get bored with the details are called losers.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I, you know what? That you just gave us our quote of the, of the episode there, gonna, That that's going to be our quote uh, to close this episode out. I usually have to go find one or get a coach to give me one. And you just gave me a great one right there. So that's, I love that. That's a great quote. All right, well, we're going to close out today with some rapid-fire questions uh, coming at you here. And, and being a, a former GA analyst, uh, quality control guy, you're going to have zero problems uh, with this, and I know that you can handle the pressure. So, Coach, you ready to go? Yes, sir. All right, so here's the first one. Uh, as a coach, you're writing utensil of choice, pen or pencil? Sharpie sharpie okay yeah I, sh- I probably should have said that and our our defense coordinator who left here he was a sharpie guy also uh like that and, 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 and i'm
2: i'm new school in the sense of i do all my notes on my ipad yeah so, uh apple pencil there you
1: go okay all right there we go there we go all right now we mentioned at the top of this you you spent uh you spent some time backpacking in new zealand and so, no doubt, uh, you, you probably picked up some pretty handy travel tips. We're getting into the summer. Coaches are probably going to be getting ready to take some vacation. Give us some some travel tips that helped you out along the way, whether it be, you know, flying on a plane or packing, things like that. Give your best travel tips.
2: Check the weather. <laughs> I went to New Zealand in the summer thinking, oh, yeah, I'm just going to another country. It's all good. I'll pack a light jacket, I'll, you know, T-shirts, whatever. I showed up and it was 42 degrees because the, our summer is their winter.
1: Right, so right, yeah, yeah, Check the weather and don't be an idiot. Okay, there you go. Check the weather. Favorite? You, you've been a you've been a special teams coordinator. Uh, you obviously were very successful there. Uh, at harden Simmons as a special teams coordinator, as you mentioned, what's your favorite special teams unit to coach?
2: Probably kickoff.
1: Yeah, I, I that was kind of a I, I I kind of figured that would be your answer because I coached kickoff when I was special teams quarter in my, in my previous school and that's I always told the kids like this is a dying aspect of the game like one day you're going to tell your kids that you were on the kickoff team and that you flew down the length of the field to go blow people up because when your kids are playing football they're going to be starting on a 25 and they'll have no oh, yeah. uh, no idea what the kickoff unit was you don't have to drag out your film and all that and show them uh, but definitely love the kickoff all the
2: field goals are going to get shorter because kickers are going to stop kicking long long kicks the yeah. Uh, yeah. my second one probably be honestly punt block yeah, said, punt block because I was a big block guy I don't like I mean we had really good returners so it was kind of like hey we're gonna block it and hey Jesse if the ball gets to you just take it to the house so yeah I was fortunate enough every year I was at Harden Simmons we ran back either a kick or a punt for touchdowns my in 2015 I say my the unit for our team in our first game versus Southwestern blocked three punts and ran two back to the house on top of the two that we scooped and scored. So we had 28 points on pump block. And so uh, the D3 uh, people emailed us, emailed our head coach. and was like, hey, we saw you did some great things on special teams. Who do you want to nominate from your special teams? So he asked me, I was like, just put the bomb squad, the whole unit, put them on there. Or I guess the SEALs, sorry. It's the SEALs. So it said SEALs, you know, pump block team or whatever. Yeah. Game of a player of the
1: week for special teams. In That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Now you, you mentioned you are from, you're from Georgetown, Texas, uh, a great stadium there. We were talking about that before, uh, before we started recording this about that nice stadium there at, at Georgetown. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but did you know, uh, that the the old, maybe this is the old locker room, so probably the locker room you changed in, wasn't that used as the set for Varsity Blues in their locker
2: room? Oh, you're talking to an extra that was in that movie.
1: Okay, so talk, so tell me about that a little bit because I kind of figure, we didn't talk about this before we record, but uh, I, I, I'd, I'd heard that and I always thought that that was the case, but now we're, we're affirming it today. So
2: so what as a role? middle school student, so this may maybe a little bit of a knock on our parents a little bit, but as an eighth grade football team, we used to do team dinners on Monday nights at whoever's house in eighth grade. And we would watch varsity blues as like our pump up because that was <laughs> in Georgetown like two years before.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So again, that's uh, rated R movie filmed by the MTV people. So you, you can imagine what goes into it. If you've seen it, you've seen it, but uh, you know, that was one of those, like, I remember I had a West Canaan shirt. I had whatever the red team, the green team, the Hornets, like we had all those t-shirts because we just went one night. They were filming like four or five football scenes. And I remember, uh, I believe it's Scott Conn was playing Tweeter, the receiver. And uh, they filmed one of the post balls he catches for a touchdown. They filmed it with a helicopter coming over the top while he was running the route. And they threw the ball in and he dropped it like six times. And so finally he catches it and the crowd erupts. And that was like, we were really excited because he caught the ball because then we can move on to the next scene and like get us. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you know,
1: it's
2: kind of cool that like in the film, you re- I remember seeing that part and be like, oh yeah, we were all really happy he caught that ball. Yeah, yeah. And we did that like two or three times. And it was like, I think they paid you like 15 bucks an hour to be an extra or something. So as a I think I was in fifth grade or sixth grade. And so I just sat in the stands and we were running around waving flags and stuff like that. Yeah. So,
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, so that leads me to this, this next question. And maybe we should take Varsity Blues out of it. What's your favorite football
2: movie? Oof. Any Given Sunday is a great one. I mean, you got a lot of great quotes to come out of that. The program up there is is up there for me.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: Take Varsity Blues out of it, like you said. I mean, you can't go wrong. Ah. I mean, I'm thinking there's a lot of good ones. I mean, even We Are Marshall's a good movie, but. Uh, I would probably say of all the football movies and it's, it is a Disney classic and all that, but I would probably say remember the Titans is probably one of my favorites. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We, uh, that came out when I was a freshman, when as a team, um, I got pulled up for the playoffs. So they, you know, pulled some of us underclassmen up and we got, we actually went, took the whole team to the, to the movie theater, you know, a couple nights before a playoff game to watch that. And and so, yeah, that's, that's a great one. Uh, I love the program. Uh, And, and, I'm not a huge fan of any given Sunday. It's a little, I don't know, a little, a little uh, yeah, like w- Willie Beeman reading a paper on the sideline, you know? I mean, come on. But uh, anyway, uh, the speech there at the end, though, by Al Pacino is awesome. You know, oh, the, yeah. It gives so, you chills every time. Like
2: yeah, you said, put your pads on and go.
1: That's right. All right. Um, a couple more here. Uh, you're in Austin, obviously known for its great food. Uh, I actually had, we had Coach Giles on a little over a year ago and I asked him this same question. Uh, so I won't tell you his answer yet, but what, what what would be your go-to for as far as places in Austin? Are you going Tex-Mex or barbecue?
2: Uh, probably Tex-Mex.
1: Okay. See, he 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 couldn't decide. He kind of went. He kind of hedged on that a little bit. So, uh, your your go-to place for Tex-Mex in Austin?
2: Oof. I mean, we're right down and it's it's funny because it's a chain, but we're right down the street from Serranos. My wife's probably a little bit harder to please in the food department than I am, but. Uh Motties is a place that's sadly enough, we used to live in the Triangle where this area downtown Austin where Lamar and Guad meet makes a triangle and that just becomes North Lamar. So we lived in apartments in the Triangle. Uh one of the last years I was an analyst in Texas, uh, it was me, uh my girlfriend at the time, soon-to-be fiance now wife, uh, and then her brother and sister that were finishing up school in Texas at UT. And so we lived right across the street from the where where like, we get home, be like, ah, I don't want a cooking thing night. Let's just go across the street, have margarita, have Tex-Mex. Uh, and that place uh, shut down because of COVID, which is sad because that was like one of our, I mean, some of our first couple of dates were at that place. so that was pretty one of my favorites.
1: A lot of great places in Austin. It's hard to go wrong uh, anywhere you go. But yeah, that's, the, and it's usually those kind of hole in the wall places that tend to be the best. Uh, you know, when we, we live, living close to San Antonio, uh, there's a lot of great places around there, but it's those places kind of downtown that, that you just sort of stumble upon that tend to be really, really good. Uh, okay. Oh uh, talk about this. The, in, in your time as a GA at Texas, uh, you got to spend some time in a lot of press boxes. Who has the best press box in the big 12?
2: Yeah, it's kind of like we were talking about before. I mean, if you want, like, full service, anything you can eat, anything you can drink type of deal, I mean, TCU and Baylor are probably the best ones. Lawrence, Kansas, I felt like I was standing on top of the guy I was supposed to be taking notes for. Uh, I actually broke my clipboard in that game. I got a little heated because they tried to onside kick it. And to this day, I swear, Cade Brewer recovered it. guy jumps on top of him. And then they give them the ball for some reason and Kate standing up and he has the ball in his hand. And that was, that was like a, that would have been the make or break moment for the sugar bowl. And for the big 12 championship, we ended up winning that game at the end, knocking down a Hellmary pass and being able to take knees and get out of there. And then we go and play OU can't pull it out in the big 12 championship. And then we yeah. went to, you know, whoop up on Georgia down in Mardi Grasville. So, uh, you know, it was, it was a fun time, but yeah, I mean, there's, for being the Big 12, there are definitely some areas that are limited in their press box game. <laughs> TCU and Baylor are definitely the two best.
1: Okay. All right. All right. We are we, a we, uh, 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 fellow coach here, one of my coaches here that, that I got coached with it, and, uh, here at Pleasant Groves, a, a GA at TCU. So I'll have to tell them that that uh, you gave a TCU press box a shout-out. Okay. Last one. You get you out of here on this one. You coach, you're, you're a GA analyst at at, at Texas, grew up as a Texas fan. So here's the, here's the situation. Uh, It's fourth and goal from the one. And uh, you got to give the ball to one of these guys to score and to beat OU. Uh, Who are you giving the ball to? Cedric Benson, Earl Campbell, or Ricky Williams?
2: Ricky. Ricky, Okay.
1: Wow. Didn't you have to think about it? Now, why Ricky?
2: I, I think, you know, Cedric, Cedric would have been right when I was in high school. So I saw him play a lot, but I just remember like as a kid, thinking Ricky was invincible. Yeah. Uh, my mom was at Texas when Earl Campbell was in class and yeah. her class of fame is she took a test one time and in her class they're calling out the you know results of the test and you're supposed to come up and pick up your test and you know the teacher goes Earl Campbell and everybody's like oh, and then some GA came and picked up his test. But, uh- <laughs> you know my my mom would probably say Earl Campbell my dad would probably say Earl Campbell from that era but just yeah kind of like the kids nowadays. Everybody thinks LeBron's the greatest. Yeah, if you yeah. You know Jordan was the greatest, and so yeah,
1: absolutely. That's,
2: that's okay. kind of where I am on the Ricky and, and Earl deal. I think Cedric was a great running back, but I'm definitely it to one of those other two, and I would pick Ricky.
1: You know, it's 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 funny we didn't mention or we didn't talk about this. My my, my dad, both my, my dad and both my uncles all went to Texas. My dad finished at Sam Houston. Uh He left because he was an accountant at, at Texas and wanted to be on the rodeo team at Sam Houston, so he transferred to Sam Houston but uh, he he was there around the same time too. And, and I don't know if this is, I mean, this is what he always told me. And, and I'm assuming it's true, but that he would occasionally see Ricky on, on campus, you know, wore, wore Wrangler, I've said Ricky Earl Campbell uh, on campus, you know, wore Wrangler jeans, but on the sides, like on the side of his thigh, he had them slit, slit open. And then shoelaces uh, laced in between because his thighs were so big. And, and so mm-hmm. he just said, you know, passing by him sometimes is really obviously really intimidating. And then, just seeing that because his thighs are so big, so um, yeah uh, i it's, it's hard to argue with any of those guys. I would probably I would probably lean towards Ricky as well, and really because of the same reasons that, that you had you and I are pretty close in age, and so growing up and watching him and getting to see him in person uh, th- that would be uh be hard to uh to not give him the ball in that situation, but I don't know if you could go wrong with any of those guys Well, well coach, thank you so much for, uh, for hopping on here and joining us tonight and and uh sharing some things with us. And I really appreciate it and, and just want to wish you and the, uh, the Westwood Warriors the best of luck in 2021.
2: Absolutely, Ty. I appreciate it.
1: I had a lot of fun talking with Coach Coates. He's
0: super personal guy, easy to talk to, and a very sharp coach who knows what he's talking about. And I know the Warrior defense is in great hands with him calling the shots over there. So good luck to those guys this next year. Be sure to follow Coach Coates on Twitter at Coach underscore Coates. C O A T S. Let him know you heard him here on KYPD. And if you want to shoot Coach an email, you can find his email address in today's show notes. The show notes is also where you'll find more information on our sponsors uh, and Go Edit Graphics and our coaching network. And also where you'll find a link to our merch store where you can go pick up your own KYPD t shirt. Uh, shout out to Coach Salvador Santos who posted a picture of him wearing his new KYPD shirt looking good. Also shout out to Coach Tino Acosta, who was sporting his shirt this past week. Coach Acosta, by the way, uh, might be the biggest, besides my mom, might be the biggest super fan of KYPD. He emails me every week, lets me know he heard the latest episode and what he liked about it. So uh, big ups to Coach Acosta. Thank you for your support, Coach. Uh, Speaking of encouragement and support, if you want to show yours, Then give us a five-star rating, leave us a review, and you might just find a free KYPD t-shirt in your mailbox one day. Also, it helps spread the word about our podcast here, so do that for us and tell all your coaching buddies to give us a listen as well. Our quote of the week, you heard from Coach Coates. Uh, You heard him say this in our conversation, and I love it. Our quote of the day goes like this. Guys who get bored with the details are called losers. And now we'll do it for us this week. Hang in there, coaches, as we wrap up the school year. Sprint through that finish line and keep bringing the juice this week. And then join us back next week when we get back to talking defensive line play on episode number 107. Until then, make get those grades in and then put on a movie and put your feet up. But remember, you better
2: keep your pads down.